All right. Hands over here. I think we are good to go. Okay, good evening. Uh, nice to see you all. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is the uh, Community Police Oversight Work Group. Very uh, pleased that you're here. Please make sure you have the uh, agenda in front of you. And thank you to the city for hosting us here at um, Fire Station Number 5 and for the food. So um, please make yourself comfortable. Anyone in the public who wishes to join us in person, we have plenty of food and um, we would love to have you here as well. This is being broadcast on Zoom and will be recorded and then archived and uploaded on the um, community engagement portal for the work, work group. So you'll be able to view it afterward as well. Any documents that we uh, go over today will also be updated. There's a number of things that we need to get onto the portal. So all of that will be there for your reference um, as well. So just a, a few things meeting logistics wise and um, in terms of community engagement portal, that's where we archive everything that we go over as a group, any draft documents, key documents, references, and uh, agendas, and then the recordings of each meeting will be located on there as well. So um, please look for updates by the end of the week on a number of, of documents related to that. The agenda for this evening, so we've got um, number one taken care of. We're gonna get into number two here, community conversation number two debrief. We had a great community conversation on July 31st. So um, we've got discussion notes to, to talk about, and I wanna do a quick debrief on that and talk about some themes and insights. And then the heavy lift tonight, and is also the heavy lift for the work group itself is to review the complaint process. And so we're gonna get a formal presentation on that tonight. That will occupy the majority of our time in this meeting. We will have a presentation, uh, extensive Q&A, and then we'll segue into our next um, agenda item, which was number four on this agenda. We're gonna talk about report and recommendations. And I wanna just go over with you a little bit about the game plan for how we begin to consolidate all that you learned through this process and ultimately what recommendations you'll want to make for the, to the city commission on behalf of all of this work. So we'll talk a little bit about what's laid out in the project charter, um, some of the issues, choices, our work needs to be presented in the kind of a study, if you will, pros and cons, and then ultimately your draft recommendations, which we'll be spending a lot of time on over the next couple of meetings. And then at the end, we'll talk about next steps and future meetings. I want to talk a little bit about the homework that needs to be done. This is a really pivotal moment where we've completed the community conversations, and now there's some real heavy lifting on your part to review all that we've learned up to this point and to begin to draft some ideas. Um, and then we'll talk about our next work sessions, which are scheduled for August 21st and August 28th. So that's where we're looking at. We're scheduled to go until 8 p.m. tonight. I am gonna ask you to weigh in on potentially extending that time for our next two meetings. So that's something just to give you a heads up on um, that we can navigate accordingly. A um, couple other quick announcements. I believe that we're going to be short a couple of our members tonight. I was thrilled that all 12 of you were there for the community conversation. 
Uh, really appreciate your your active participation in that. That was great. Um, I know that uh, we've got a couple of um, conflicts this meeting tonight, so I'll make sure to reach out to them and get them roped back in um, for uh, our discussion tonight. Anybody have any quick questions on meeting logistics, the agenda, anything like that before we jump in? All right. Okay, thank you for being here. All right, so um, community conversation number two. So we had our second public gathering at the uh, Carnegie Building on July 31st, exactly two weeks ago tonight. Um, we had a great turnout. I was really, really pleased. We had about, uh, about 30 community members. We had all 12 of you from the work group present. We generated a few hundred responses through the community questions, all of which is in the discussion notes and will also be available in the portal. Um, and also, I'm in the process of teaming those as I did for community conversation number one, but I want you to look at them first and, and review those and give us your insights on that. Um, we asked several questions to get at what the community is in what is important to the community relative to the CPRB and the complaint process. And so we're going to go through those community notes in a more formal way at our next meeting. But I want you to be looking ahead and I want to spend just a few minutes doing kind of a quick debrief at your tables on what you got out of the last couple of weeks. And um, as we did for the first one, and then we're going to pivot into our presentation on the complaint process. So to get you started, I'd like for you to take a few minutes at your table and just share highlights that you took away from it. Um, anything that stood out for you, anything that you learned. I know um, many of you took copious notes, but you were actively engaged throughout. And all of you have access to all the notes that were generated at each of the tables, but you have your own insights from the conversations you had. So let's take a few minutes to do that at your table. And then I'm going to ask you to share with the full group so we can capture that. All right. Any questions? All right. No, thank you. And he wants us to make all of the people that are on the table up for the need to Well, they're really and we have a lot of things we hear a lot of If that was the case, we Oh, yeah. 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 Oh,
that came on and they're very interesting thoughts that you've never thought of in the process of comms and then
What I was saying was they were talking about ideas, right? And then they would just didn't have a great deal of insight into what they do. As a does that make sense? Lacking knowledge of the problem. And so their ideas were based that 
Okay, take a couple more minutes and then I want you to share with us. Let's say much disagreement about qualifications Yeah. 
Okay, so what I would like for you to do is just share what you wrote down and, and provide any context for highlights, takeaways from community conversation number two. Um, this will, in addition to the discussion notes that, that you all have and that will be on the portal, um, since you all were present for the conversations and had a full two hours with folks at your table, you have a lot of insights to share on how what you learned from the community that will inform your deliberations on recommendations. So I'd like for you to just give a few highlights, if you would, and we'll just hear from each group. These will also be written up in the discussion notes for this meeting so that everybody has um, access to them. But uh, would you all like to go first? And if you direct your attention over here, um, these are just some general um, pointers from, from comments that were made from each of our tables. Um, uh, at my table, um, one uh, community member shared their uh, kind of experiences about uh, positive and negative uh, traffic stops here in Morris, that they interactions they've had with the police officers. Um, but he shared that he overall had good experiences with the police here, um, but he did compare them to Denver police. Um, in terms of the culture, saying that there was a more protective culture here versus a laid back culture in Denver. Um, and then uh, another community member mentioned rewriting the bylaws. Um, seems like, you know, the next comment kind of goes with the last one. It seems like there was a very uh, big lack of understanding about the TTRB and the complaint process in general among community members. Um, one political candidate for city commission um, recommended uh, that whatever third party that reviews complaints, whether that's the CPRB, they should have access to body cam footage. Um, that kind of ties into finding a way to have data-driven, you know, evidence that we can assure the public um, for transparency with uh, reviewing complaints. Um, and then um, another community member just constantly was um, think, you know, bringing up the lack of representation of the LGBTQ community um, throughout all of those questions. So just a mis, you know, underrepresented minority group. Um, um, questions for this group? I just, I have one clarifying question. So when you said rewrite the bylaws, the feedback from the community was that specific to the CPRB or was that? Yes, the young man stated that we should just rewrite the bylaws. Okay. For the 15 year old mentor. Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. Yes. Needed an overhaul or. Okay. Yes. Now there was a concern that he might have been a purposeful disruptor. Is that, was there any thought of that in the, in that table? What I, what, to speak clearly. Um, he had like a report prepared for us to read. Oh, um, um, the person that he would. So I, okay. I'm going to be honest. I feel unprepared mm -hmm. um, when there are certain people mm -hmm. that are known to like you and some of the other people. I don't know these people. Mm -hmm. It would have been a good thing, I believe. For us that are new to have been kind of you know, told who these people are, because I'm conducting myself mm -hmm. in a way, and I'm not understanding why I'm getting this type of 
reaction. Okay. Um, just like speaking to and I'm snarling and I'm talking and I'm trying to put the, and finally the pieces fall together. Okay. I would have conducted myself in a different way. Okay. Um, so the gentleman, the 15 year old, um, saw him talking to this other person that I have figured out who they are. We're, you know, not even hostile, not friendly. Yeah. Someone yeah. I've been receiving information from. But I feel, you know, in between, you look to hurt him, tell him stuff, and then he'd come and share some of the things. So, um, what I'm trying to say is, I believe that young people, you have something to say, but I also believe sometimes young people are pushed by other adults to be the voice because I don't feel that sort of thing. Um, instead of sitting at the table and being a participant, mm -hmm. more of a um, recording and, and taking pictures and doing all that, but he had the Jennifer thing as his voice. Okay. For him. Okay. Um, so that's <clears throat> okay. Well, Tanya did a very nice job of asking the 15-year-old to make sure they clarified because we didn't understand at first the direction that he was going, but he did leave us this report. Oh, um, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So he okay, left that for great. us. So, but Tanya did a nice job of asking him to constantly clarify what was you know, he was trying to say. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that feedback. And the reason we do communication. And when he was um, clarifying, was it, did it seem him driven? Did he know what he was talking about when he was clarifying? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, question withdrawn. So, I didn't see the answer to that, though. Question was withdrawn. So, part of the. What? Well, wait, withdrawn. Okay. So, when. Uh, okay. <laughs> I found myself having to ask the question several different ways okay, to, sure. to present it in a way that I felt like he understood various ways. The answers weren't necessarily. So there are people that have knowledge, mm -hmm. not saying him, there are people that know what they're talking about because they are well-versed in something that they know. And then, as you know, when you ask someone something for clarification, you ask different ways or questions and they can't answer you and you keep posing it different ways and they still can't answer, then you just kind of, you start listening and it starts, um, it leads you down a path and there's something else going on. Sure, sure. And then after a while, you're like, okay, now it's it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I appreciate that feedback because the reason we do community engagement is to find out what's important to the community. The reason I referenced that we are doing a learning curve, um, traveling a learning curve together, is that you all have been tasked with to become expert, if you will, on these issues to be able to produce a set of informed recommendations. And we started at different points individually on that learning curve. And the community that we engage with is at different points on that learning curve. And some of whom have spent days and weeks and months and years studying these issues and are, are very well informed about the CPRB and the complaint process and all that. And then others, as we saw in the notes and the feedback, know very little about what the existing process is. And so we're all here to learn together. And to the extent that you can within a two hour discussion, kind of 
make sense of where people are coming from and what and how that informs their thinking and their ideas. I mean, that's that's part of the challenge of, of the work. So I appreciate that you do that and that you you did that. And that's why we do it in that format, because you get the chance to ask the follow-up questions. And there's a there's a value in having discussion-based format as opposed to like each person gets three minutes and um, just imagine how much more clarification and understanding you get when you get to spend two hours with somebody like that. So, um, but all that being said, ultimately you all have that responsibility. And so one of the things that, that your comments um, remind me of is that we need you to read through all of those community notes to filter that through what you learn from the complaint process presentation and all that you learn through key documents so that you've got um, informed recommendations for that. So thank you for that. All right, um, let's hear from this group next. And I'm gonna pull, let me pull this up here so that Okay, so um, walk us through this group here. Uh, tell us what we wrote down here. Okay, well, obviously we all, three of us came from separate tables and there were different discussions at all the tables, but it seems like the kind of common threads are, um, there were suggestions that the complaint should go directly to CPRB even a complaint that CPRP should investigate or that they should go to a third party, not the police department, and that third party should do the investigation. Uh, concern was transparency of the process. Okay, back to the, there, as we kind of anticipated, um, there's a little goosiness about uh, making a complaint directly to the police department for fear of, fear of retaliation. Obviously, if the complaint goes anywhere, identity is going to become known, but at least to make the initial approach through somebody other than the police department. Um, and then the importance of the transparency of the process. Uh, there was a kind of theme that the uh, CPRB needed a broader scope than, than just bias-based complaints. Um, and that the CPRB should be involved earlier in the process. And then there was discussion about qualifications for CPRB, which, uh, you know, I'm talking because I remember the conversation at my table far more than I remember, you know, the summaries that I got from the people at this table. Okay. But we had, you know, a lot of con conflicting absolutes if okay. that makes sense uh, you know nobody who has ever worked for the police department has ever been related to a law enforcement officer has ever worked in the criminal justice system and then you know somebody else at the table saying definitely former police officers retired police officers need to be involved so okay you know we've got those Kind of opposites, so a big, uh -huh. big difference yeah. there. <laughs> and you know, but I know that the city um, policy for boards it screens out felons. Um, 
you know, we had one person who suggested that Tsunami please. And the point made here at our table was, yeah, there's somebody with experience with police officers. Um, you know, so maybe opening up the, the um, consideration and future. Just to put it all very briefly. Okay, no, that's that's great. So a lot of a lot of discussion on qualification. So as you're as you're reflecting on what you learned from the community, and you're thinking of what your assignment is in terms of pros and cons. Ideally, when your your final product is put forward, those voices should be reflected in the um, pros and cons, and then you'll have to negotiate about what your actual recommendations are. But that those various positions should be present within those pros and cons, because if we're to truly study the issue and understand it, then I should be able to pick it up and not know anything and come away pretty well informed on all of this um, as we go. So thank you for that. Okay, let's hear what um, what you all identified. Walk us through this, please. So um, again, we were at different tables, um, but a lot of what we discussed at our table here reflects what happened at these other tables. So wanting the entire community represented, um, there were folks at my table who, um, noticed that there were certain demographics in our community not represented in the conversation and they feel like more people need to be involved in the conversation. Um, one person mentioned that um, there needs to be better um, police um, relationships with um, the native population in our city as well as um, African-American folks. Um, they mentioned that the advertisement for the conversations were only in English, um, yeah. and um, that excludes certain people as well. Um, they want whatever we come up with to have transparency and be easily accessible. Um, there were a number of questions mm -hmm, about um, what the policy currently looks like, how do you engage, how do you participate, and I think those questions are um, um, an answer in and of itself that um, there isn't good information easily discussed with the community about what to do if you want to provide um, feedback. Um, there was an insistence that it be data-driven, so we need to collect information that from the complaints and then adjust policy based on those complaints. They want accountability, and that came from the data conversation. So. They want to see changes based on complaints to prevent future bad acts, to um, shape what the relationship should look like. Um, they want it to be a non-threatening experience for the complainant. Um, they want the complainant to be heard and to feel safe. Um, and, and they were talking about respect as well. Um, they want trained CPRB members. So one person was saying um, they themselves have experience reviewing footage Footage and it takes a long time and it's difficult. Um, one person said that they want to have an ombudsman because they don't want the complaints going straight to the police department. Do they? They were quite sure 
um, it wasn't a consensus at our table. Some folks were saying an ombudsman or an impartial third party to receive and give complaints. There were some that were saying that the complaints could go to the CBRB and the police department at the same time. Um, but all of this tied into the conversation about transparency, about, I mean, what happens to complaints that what happens to complaints? Is everyone engaging in the system, receiving feedback, receiving answers, um, taken seriously? Um, it was, um, we talked about the um, potential disruptor. Um, and at my table, I was very um, heartened to see that everyone that was in at my table for the first community um, conversation came back um, to the second. And so just giving um, a nod to the fact that there are a number of people in our community that are very engaged um, in this process and wanting to see it succeed and are hoping that we will do whatever negotiations are necessary in order to have a policy that can go to the city commission and be voted on and passed. They want to see this go all the way through and they were willing to give their time, not just once, but twice in order to make sure that that happens. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you for that. Yeah, and just on that last note, um, I know that you were you were generous in this respect, but um, please extend thanks to those who participated and in your conversations when people reach out on email or they share with you that they filled out the questionnaire, for example, um, the, the greatest thing we can do is to honor their inputs and contributions and take that into account in our deliberations. So please thank them for that because that's what civic engagement is all about. So um, thank you. This is great. This is great. So this is a great lead in. Um, all of these these notes will be for the, uh, captured in this meeting's discussion notes. This is a great lead in to our heavy lift tonight, which is to go through a formal uh, review of the complaint process as it currently exists. So just to tee up a couple of things for you, we're gonna get a presentation from the police department that is going to walk us through the complaint process as, as it currently exists. Have in your mind all of these questions and concerns and interests that the community shared with you in our community conversations. Um, I think what we'll do is have, we've got, um, you have a PowerPoint um, and there's notes, so you can take notes throughout, and um, and and we want you to ask a lot of questions. And I think timing-wise, um, what, what we probably should do because it's going to cover a lot of material is have you, if there's a slide in front that you have a question in that moment, ask it then, and then <laughs> once that once we get through all of the slides. We'll take just a short break and then reconvene, and then it's all Q and A after that. So I want you to ask every question that you can think of, and then and then some as we go. Yes, yes. this is something I have not. Um, I don't know the answer to. Okay, and before we start, where will they be getting the questionnaires, and where will they be turning them? So the questionnaire that we had on the um, the flyer to promote the event. That's been live for what? Three weeks? City website. No, when they have a complaint. Uh, oh, oh, where do they turn that in? Oh, we're about to find out. Oh, so that's going to be part right. of the presentation. All right. So 
Um, ideally, by the end of tonight, <laughs> hopefully, you will know exactly what the current process is, and then you'll be able to filter that through all the feedback you've collected to know what works or makes sense and what is not working or is not addressing the public's needs. And um, because part of what we're here to do is to probably help communicate what's in place, but the heavier lift and probably more important is all the process improvements that you're gonna put forward in terms of recommendations to make it better. So you do want us to interrupt with questions or do you want us to hold the questions to the end? I just want to make sure. So if there's a, something on the slide that you don't understand, let's, let's figure it out while the slide's up there. But some of the answers to your questions might be later on in the presentation. So if it's not specific to the slide, if we can get through it, then we'll try to run through everybody's questions and be here as long as we need to be here, I guess. Yeah. That's great. And I would imagine that um, this will, do you want to just pull a PowerPoint and then you're going to share screen? Um, and also, we're asking you to learn a lot. So, uh, um, I know also how brains work, uh, and you'll invariably have other ideas that or questions that will come up, and we'll be able to address those. Hey, Casey, if you're listening, you and Amy, the sheep creature. Say again, Anthony. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I couldn't hear you, Casey. Uh oh. Can you oh. hear me now? Uh, Bert, you're cutting up. What did you ask? Well, it's saying the screen share. The host is disabled. This yeah, I'm a participant. Okay, try it now. Sorry about that. I thought you were also a host. All right, so uh, gonna give you a uh, presentation on the complaint process, um, the accountability process for this department. Uh, Jonathan had asked also to, to give a little bit of background of kind of what we do as we start with an police officer. Uh, some of the things, well, this is no way. <laughs> uh, my apologies. So uh, Chief really uh, has four things as far as this accountability piece, four pillars. Uh, this was his slide, he wasn't able to be with us tonight. Um, but it really starts with pre-employment screening. Uh, there's a very big background investigation. There's also a psychological <laughs> investigation, uh, lie detector tests, things of that nature. To give you a good example of the time process takes, we are doing uh, some of this pre-screening work right now for people that will be hired in January and have been doing it for a couple months. Uh, training, uh, the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center has a 520-hour uh, training period. Uh, recently, they redeveloped that, so we have to follow what they want to a T. Before, it was a little bit more of our own. Uh, we, would take, we would take certain pieces of theirs, and we would expand on it. We're still able to expand in certain areas uh, if we want to do, like, a CIT training or something like that. So, But we did reduce some because we were really looking for it to be a basic, so then they're learning out in the field. Ours is currently uh, 18 weeks. Yeah, I think I'm saying that right. Six or 18 weeks, uh, 720 hours. So whatever the math is on that, 
and then you will go through a field training officer program that is 16 weeks. And then for two weeks, you have to go with an officer and who's in plain clothes and shows that, that you can do it on your own. So uh, from the time we talk about uh, if we hire you or if we're starting the hiring process with you today, doing your background and everything that to the first day, you can be all by yourself. You're talking about almost a year uh, of full training and background checks and things like that. So that's the PTO process. And then we have monthly in-service training. We also send our officers to outside training. Got to have a good policy background. Uh, we use Lexapol. Lexapol uh, is probably the premier agency in law enforcement. Uh, and what they do is they give us a best practice policy and uh, as they change things like that. So if the law changes tomorrow, they'll, they'll send us an update to tell us what we should be doing to change it. That's vetted by our city attorney's office. Uh, if it's a case of legal matters or something like that to say, yes, we agree with that. Or maybe, no, that doesn't apply to Kansas law, something, something of that nature. Um, accreditation. Accreditation is something that we're currently going through. Um, and what that is, is it's, I'll get into a little bit more, but it's your best practices across the country. Uh, and not only do they tell you what your policy has to say, they come in and make sure that you are actually doing it. So we are in the policy portion of that phase. We're finishing up uh, all our policies, the ones that need to be rewritten. Some of them are just tweaks. Some of them are you need a whole new policy. And then in the coming year, we'll start to have assessments where they'll come in and they'll look at all our files. And then we have to prove that we're doing everything that we're saying, say we're doing. And the last piece, the uh, big piece of accountability is supervision. Uh, and what's really important here is supervision in the field. I would tell you for most of my career, we didn't have very much supervision in the field. You typically had a commander and then maybe three sergeants covering everything. And uh, here in 2020, uh, we changed our ranks a little bit, so we have multiple commanders and much more supervision overlapping. We're going to about 300% more calls than we were uh, in the years previously as supervisors. We've also introduced a corporal rank, which is like a junior level supervisor, so we have even more people on the scene quickly who are making sure that we're doing the right things on our calls. So, question for you. You said that the officer will not there it will be a year before they're on their own right yeah so the the people that we're hiring right now for our january class we started i think in june um and then they'll go through their 18 weeks they'll have uh they sometimes there's a week after where there's like a transition they'll go through another 16 weeks of training this is if they make everything on time because you can get recycled for lack of a better term if you're not doing good in a phase in your book your training officer program we can hold you back and then we we go through um, retraining and to make sure that you're doing things that are up to the standard. So while the minimum time is 16 weeks and then you're two two weeks grayed out, it can actually be longer. Uh, and often is is the case. And that doesn't mean necessarily someone's like doing bad. It's just maybe they're not getting the concept, or maybe they're not um, doing something the way that they were trained to do. So you have particular trainers. Yeah. So we have trainers that are selected, and they go through the national PTO program. Okay. So you're going to hear different ranks, things like that. This is the organization chart. Uh, the chief is up here. Uh, this is the division that we're, we're focusing on uh, today, which is the professional standards division. This training is actually uh, got a lot more components on it, but this is the training that we were just talking about. They run most of that until they get on the street, and then they're in control. And you start to see how much division they have. Uh, this happens to be the, the two divisions that uh, I'm currently working with. <laughs> We talked a little bit about Kalia. This is a huge undertaking for us right now. 
but we, I think uh, our CPRB members certainly will start to see a lot of more of these things. And I wanted to just kind of point out that because you're going to see tags that are in red, or you could potentially see tags that are in red, and that's a CALEA standard. So we have to have that in our policies. Um, and all of our policies are marked now with what those are. This is what you're seeing. So this is the, the complaint process that we're looking at. <clears throat> there are seven standards. There's multiple pieces to each standard. I think when I counted it earlier today, there was 24 individual pieces that we are responsible for to making sure that our policies are most uh, the, the most up-to-date, the best police practices. And then we will have to show every piece of that. So the reason there are seven standards and 24 pieces, because a lot of these have A, B, C, D. So one standard could have five things that you have to do. Some of them have 10, some of them have one. So just a little bit of understanding as you're starting to see that uh, through the policy and, and understand that uh, we're really going through an evolution to here to show that we're doing things that we say that we do. Give you a couple definitions because we talk about uh, complaint a lot. Um, but it doesn't always mean the same thing as when, when different people say it. So allegation, unproven accusation that employee violated uh, department or city policy procedures, rules, regulations. Violation is the actual act or remission of the employee that was the breach of the laws, rules, etc. Uh, personnel complaint is, this is mostly what we're talking about, is an allegation received from the public uh, that they've done one of these things, violated policy, violated law, etc. We actually have a, a internal investigation too, which is um, that's probably our most common uh, found sustained. And what that is is an employee saying it's Skyler Richardson saying I did something wrong, right? As another employee, so we find that those are probably our highest sustained because Skyler Richardson knows the rules. He knows exactly the rules that I have to play by, and if I'm not playing by those rules, then he uh, he sees that. Then uh, we find that those are pretty highly accurate. So we're going to talk about the process, and this is the this is my map, and we get to map it out later together. But I, I just kind of wanted to simplify it to you. I think the most important pieces for what a lot of what we're talking about is the access and the accountability. So we'll talk about those two things. We're going to talk about all six things, but we're going to break you down through the, through the uh, time. So access to the process. I am not going to read this to you, but I want to answer the most overwhelming question. Do I have to go to a police department to make a complaint? The answer is absolutely not. You can make a complaint literally almost any way possible. Um, you, of course, can come to the police department and fill out a complaint form. You can call, you can email, but you can also contact the CPRB, you can contact the city, you can contact human resources, you can contact the Douglas County District Attorney's Office, you can contact a myriad of different agencies, that will, uh, the uh, Kansas Attorney General's Office, you can call uh, our city legal, you could have someone else come in and talk to that third person to make that complaint. So your complaint, the, the issue that you have can be heard in almost any way possible. You, there's not the necessity of the physically going down, filling up <laughs> and signing that this is truth and veracity, which is the case in most places. I know uh, Chief was talking about come from KC, you absolutely have to show up and you absolutely have to sign away saying that this is truthful and things like that. So. The, the short, you can contact us on social media. Uh, I, I could go on and on and on, but the short way is you can make a complaint in almost any way possible. And we're going to at least look at the... Uh, I'm sorry, no, you're good. You. Um, when you say that you can make a complaint through all these avenues, you mean that they will refer you to these three different ways? 
of making the complaint. What do you, can you clarify what you mean when you say third party make the complaint? So I, I can, if I have witnessed something, I can complain uh, that I could say I saw that. Or a lot of times we have parents that make a complaint like, uh, so uh, little Joey got stopped and I want to make a complaint about little Joey's interaction. He may even be an adult at that time, right? And, and we will still accept that initial uh, but uh, I, I wish I could be like simpler, but it's almost any way possible. So out of all of these ways, it looks like maybe there's maybe three that are connected with the police department directly, or am I? Well, it depends on what your your. Well, it looks like the city manager, city manager, city commissioner, and these the attorney general's office. You can go to C post. You could go to the district attorney's office and make a complaint. You could go to the municipal court. You could contact city legal. You could contact city human resources. You could contact a supervisor in another department. We will still accept that complaint. I have another question. Is there the ability to add on another location for, for making a complaint? Or is this the only way? I ask that because um, there are people that are still a little intimidated. Mm -hmm. There are some, it has been mentioned to me, mm -hmm. the library downtown. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people feel uh, comfortable mm -hmm. in that setting, and it's less of um, an intimidating type sure. In the library, they reach out to everybody. Everybody gets the library. They're not going to stand out mm -hmm. going to the library. So <clears throat> my question is, are those the only ways, or are you possibly? Is, is oh, I think it's part of the discussion that we're going to have is is what other outlets could I receive that? Okay. Um, but yeah, but if the answer is, is if we got it from library staff and they handed me whatever a letter or whatever the case may be, information about the complaint, would we still look at look at that complaint? We would. Physical. I guess I'm asking is if that could be something that would be also listed or people. Oh, as another outlet. Yes. Yeah, it certainly because, could be done. Right. Of the, of the group stuff. Okay. Uh, CPRB was my last one, but I think I already said that. <laughs> so uh, this is again, this is not necessarily common, but uh, we will take third party uh, anonymous complaints, um, and you're not required to sign the form. That's a little bit out of the norm for. Uh, police departments. So it is about uh, making people feel more comfortable as they're, they're choosing to make that comfort. <laughs> uh, we talked about the access. We're going to talk about the types of complaints and who might investigate those because it's your screen sharing is paused. <laughs> So we're going to talk about the complaint, the allegation of a complaint, and then who might the investigator be, because it can vary a little bit. Level one complaint, and this is our most serious complaint. Uh, think of like uh, a bad use of force issue, racial or bias-based policing. I think I have another slide, um, but it's a serious matter. It can also be criminal, but I'm going to save that for the end. Um, but these are your most serious complaints. And one of the things I would tell you is, uh, these complaints are a little, they're fluid. Like sometimes we'll get information and we go, oh, this is what it really is. So they can go up and down depending on what information that we actually find out uh, as we do the investigation. 
This is investigated by the Office of Professional Accountability, the lieutenant or the major in there. And then there is times where we will have another commanding officer take um, an investigation. And it might be because that person's on vacation or at training and we need to get it right away. Or there's multiple things going on that are complex. And so I, I may ask the uh, investigations division lieutenant to investigate the, the uh, complaint. But you'll see later, it'll still go through the same process of who has to see and review it. This is just a short, this is from our policy. It's like a, just an example list of, of the types of complaints that these are. So these are your most major complaints. So level two is less serious nature. It's probably a policy violation. Um, the one I think about the most is like an officer went to your certain type of call and they, they were required to take a report and then didn't take a report, right? So mostly, I would say most of the time, level two complaints are repeated what we get into level three complaints. Level threes are gonna be our, our minor ones. So I've, I've been uh, accused of being rude and found sustained uh, three times now. So now we move that up uh, to a level two so because the discipline is higher, if that makes sense. Uh, violations of, oh, sorry, let me go back. So this is, uh, these level twos, these mid-levels, this is generally investigated by the member's chain of command. It would probably be a lieutenant and they would send it to the major. It could be investigated by OPA. It really just depends on what um, what else is going on. There's a balancing scale of what resources you have, um, but it's it's investigated generally at a command level. <laughs> Those are some of your uh, example repeated uh, violations level three. Like I said, that's the most common. They'll either take a report um, or uh, some sort of mandatory arrest, uh, inappropriate conduct that's more than just like being rude or something like that. So level three uh, complaint is just complaint against employee, and it's usually a minor violation. Uh, I think. Officer Joe was speeding, right? They were speeding through town and they weren't using their lights and sirens. Um, I think that uh, Officer Joe was rude to me or he uh, cursed at me or something like that. Um, so they, those are minor violations that don't cost two level one, level two, unless you have repeated violations and then they start going up. This is generally handled by the member's chain of the command. Almost always it's gonna be their direct supervisor. And then we'll talk about how that it's filtered up uh, <laughs> so we have an inquiry this actually is probably one of the most common things um and it's a complaint maybe about the department or the practice a lot of times people think they're complaining about the officer um but they're complaining about a practice that is actually within policy within law uh, a good example is if you called uh, and you had a parking complaint and you're mad about your neighbor's car and Officer Richardson comes through and he writes a warning ticket or he views it and he decides not to write a ticket at all, that is his discretion. That's what he is allowed to do by law. Look at it, make a decision based on that. You might be unhappy that uh, they got a warning ticket or inversely, you're the person that got a ticket and you might be happy that unhappy that you didn't get a warning ticket. So. Uh, or you said, hey, this officer was going really fast. Yeah, they had lights and sirens on, but they were going really fast. And we, we say, we understand um, this is, they're allowed to do that. 
Um, I think a lot of times these cause the most consternation because um, somebody is wanting a result that is not necessarily, uh, it's more outside of policy or something like that. It's, it's department practice, it's the best practice at the time. Those actually come up quite a bit. The supervisor, whoever is taking, generally a supervisor will be able to recognize that right away. Like, uh, so it's usually, these come through OPA a lot. They might come, they might come to the chief's office and generally whoever gets the initial complaint is able to look at that and receive the information that they're, they're telling us. And, you know, I, I understand, I understand you're unhappy, but that is the practice. So that, that is defined as an inquiry. Uh, so who's investigating? Oh, sorry, excuse me, criminal complaint. These are level one complaints uh, that have a criminal element to them. Um, if the victim is a business or an individual, we are having an outside agency um, look at that. And so uh, an officer is alleged to have stolen from a business that they were on a burglary, okay? We're gonna have the KBI, Johnson County, Douglas <laughs> County, Overland Park, whoever is able to take that at that, that time. Um, look at that investigation. If the victim is the city or state, and this, the most common one is use of um, computer information systems, right? You you uh, access your computer information system and ran somebody ran something that you were not supposed to run. So the victim is the state of Kansas or something like that. We will have our investigations division uh, investigate that one. The primary reason is because it's a lot when we when we use outside agencies we uh for these matters a lot of times they're simple things and we'll go it, it's not their priority resource unless it's like the homicide or something like that so we've waited a month or two months or something like that but if the victim is an individual or a business business owner so we still have it go outside if it's just the state of kansas or the city of lawrence then we will have that investigated in turn this is a uh, internal investigations may be simultaneous or after a completed criminal investigation. Most of the time is after the completed criminal investigation. So uh, I'm unhappy about my ticket, uh, I, uh, but I got a ticket and we'll take your complaint. We'll take all the information and follow up with you. But uh, you have to have the court process play out because uh, we're going to be influencing court processes one way or another. Or I was arrested for a crime, whatever. Um, those are usually done after now we always look at it initially so i get a complaint and it, it, it's a higher let's just say it. uh this person battered me he said and you know uh illegally battered me. uh the, the open investigator is going to immediately look at it and look at the tape because everything is on tape to see if there's anything that's validating that and if there's anything that's of concern we'll immediately start running the investigation usually things that we look at and go there's a good chance that that this may not, uh, this person may have to be severely disciplined to include termination. We start down those processes. Uh, that's authorized by the chief of police. We consult with our city attorney on things like that. So those are the criminal investigations. <laughs> so uh, we've gone through that and we'll talk to you about the investigation. I'm gonna save this one easy for you because every investigation is different. So I can give you like 20 slides on every type of investigation. Um, generally, though, what you can say is we, we have access to a lot of things. One of the best things we have access to is the body camera that's just right there with, uh, with the officer. That usually tells us a part of the story. It's not to be all end all. Uh, camera, cameras kind of bad angles, things like that. It's not to be all end all, but it does give us a lot of information. It gives us context instead of a snapshot in time. 
Uh, we have the car video cameras. Uh, we have phone calls, department information. We can GPS where an officer is. Like if somebody's saying, uh, a couple of years ago, there was somebody saying that a Lawrence police officer beat up somebody on the highway or something like that, right? We can, uh, if you go date and time, we can tell you exactly where every car is and everything. Uh, so we were able to use all those things. And then of course we have eyewitness interviews, things of that nature. Uh, and we, what I would say is, not every investigation gets every single piece of this because some of them are obvious right away. Um, and you uh, you make a complaint and one way or the other, the complaint is simple in nature. Hey, when uh, Officer Joe went to arrest me, he threw me on the ground and um, did whatever. We're still gonna probably interview that, that person at the original time, but we're probably gonna turn on the video and the three other videos and we're gonna see pretty quickly whether that happened or not, right? And so it may not, it may not be that uh, I need to interview the other person that was there, or something like that. So uh, a lot of the video does tell us tell us a story. It's certainly not the complete story. That is a way oversimplification of very complex things. And so if there's a question to the investigation part, I'd be happy to answer. So the recommendation finding uh, our complaints as they're so every complaint that we take gets entered into what is called Blue Team. Blue Team is our system that tracks not only complaints, it tracks use of force, it tracks um, out-of-boy letters, things of that nature. And it's, it's basically uh, in a file on an employee that we can aggregate data out of, uh, and not just the employee, but the department as a whole. So what is that plot again? Blue Team? Blue Team? Is the you spell that? Blue, B-L-U-E, okay. Team. Team, Blue Yes, team. Okay. Blue Team. All right. Blue team is the input process. IA Pro is what comes out of it. So um, I think the CPRB has gotten reports of complete. That is IA Pro coming back at you. So that's uh, all the information that was entered coming back out in some sort of data form. Uh, so when the OPA lieutenant or major is entering the final disposition <laughs> of this, um, if it's a at the level one and level two complaints, because most of the level threes are they're still put into blue team. Um, Officer Joe was rude to me. Supervisor watched the video. He was rude. There was this counseling session, but we haven't got to like a formal discipline yet uh, where that level two kicked in. <laughs> um, every, every one of them is entered, but the level ones and level twos get these classifications, if that makes sense. Sustained, uh, the lawyers in the greater way of the evidence uh, uh, says that it is valid. The department uh, violated the law. Not sustained, there's insufficient evidence to prove or disprove the allegations. Um, exonerated, uh, when the allegation of the policy is made and the outcome uh, determines that the incident occurred, but it was lawful. So you used improper force against me. And the it, uh, the, the investigation shows no, the force was proper based on X, Y, Z. That would be exonerated. Uh, unfounded, uh, the, actual, the allegation is uh, just not true. Um, uh, Officer Smith pulled a gun on me during this time. And you would get the interviews and it just didn't, it didn't happen. Uh, closed. Uh, this is where the uninvolved person comes in. So we do get complaints from uninvolved people. Some of that is wanting uh, to know what's going on, um, but we don't give dispositions to people who aren't involved. So because uh, there's a privacy right to the individual who was involved in whatever call. So, um, except for parents, 
and attorneys. So if I'm if you're the attorney for the, your client and you've made this complaint, then we would and you if my client doesn't want to talk to you, we would give you that. Um, if you're the parent of a person who is 17 years old or younger, we will also give you that information. But we won't give it to just uh, a third party. So if the complainant didn't cooperate, you closed it because of that, because the complainant, well, the complainant was uninvolved, but the subject wouldn't cooperate. If, so if he or she ones. then comes back yeah. later and says, what was the result? Would you tell him then, him or yeah. her? Yeah, we would tell them. That. Now, sometimes you can't finish it because it might just be based on, you and I were having a conversation at the quick shop. There was no body camera on and you were unhappy with it, but then you decided not to talk to the investigator. Right, there's not much that we can go on to, and that would be an example of really those. Uh, so the, these are the different ones that, that are just closed, it's not used very often. So I'm looking at them, I'm reading all these, and I'm like, I just don't remember using, <laughs> using these very often. Uh, training issue, uh, policy deficiency. There is times where we find that a person might be acting within what we've said is the policy, uh, or that, um, or that a certain way that they were trained but maybe they hadn't had the updated training, right? Um, it could be like a, a, a taser usage. You can no longer use your taser in this type of way, right? They may not have even been to that to that training yet because we go through cycles. Um, or that we find that our policy doesn't make sense. I've done this um, in a pursuit. In our pursuit policy, it had a lot of shalls. And there was like 10 things that you shall do when you're in a pursuit. They're all really good things to do. But when you're driving at a really high speed with a really scary situation going on, you're trying to get information out, you may only get six of them, or you only get the seven. That would technically be a policy violation, but the policy is deficient because of the way it's worded, and it's not practical for any human being to be able to do that. That would be a good example of that. Accountability is the part we're looking for, too, right? Besides access. So uh, I want kind of have an understanding of who sees this and uh, at the end of the day of who's signing off when they see the person's name in red, they are physically signing off that they've read, agree or disagree because you can disagree in our chain of command with what the final saying is. Uh, so if um, the lieutenant sends me something and they said, I don't think uh, the officer violated this use of force policy, I can go, I do, and I write out my reasons why, and then it goes up to the next level, and it's reviewed, and so on and so forth. So level three, remember, these are our most minor complaints. Uh, officer didn't use his turn signal, something like that. Supervisor is going to see it, uh, make whatever entries they are. They're going to send it to their lieutenant or major, and then it goes to the OPA, and the OPA classifies it. It reviews, all, uh, uh, reviews anything they need to review before they put it in blue team, right? So it can come back out and die and put up. Level two, you're going to have uh, an investigator. Uh, this is usually going to be at a command level because now it's more serious. They're probably going to get, if found sustained, they're probably going to get some sort of formal discipline besides an oral counseling. Um, it's usually like a written letter of reprimand. It could result in days off, um, unpaid days off, things like that. So you're usually going to have a commander who investigates that. That's, if you remember our chart, um, the commander starts at lieutenant, and then there's still a couple. There's major, deputy chief, and chief ahead of them. The investigator is going to put what they thought it was. Um, that could be the open investigation. Their their lieutenant is typically going to see it, and the open lieutenant is definitely going to see it. Uh, I guess that's right there. Uh, their major is going to see it, um, so they're going to review the complaint. They're going to make a, a recommendation on discipline or no discipline. 
Uh, Opa's going to put it in, and then the deputy chief, which is my level, is the final sign off on that. That being said, all of our complaints, we do like a every couple of weeks meeting with the chief where Opa comes in and they talk about any complaints. So eventually, and by CLIA standards also, the CEO or the chief of police has to be notified about all the complaints. But we have generally taken care of it before people have done that. Want to talk about these two things. This is probably less of the complaint process, but it can be used. We have an accident review committee. And they're a bunch of highly trained people who have forgotten more about accidents than I will ever know. One of them. <laughs> they, can, they can tell you how far a person skid. That, that means they were going this fast and all sorts of things that I don't even want to know about. So if the complaint was around accident speeding, things like that, uh, or that resulted in an accident, they're going to be able to give us a lot of information. They don't make the determination, but what they do is review it and they give you their expert opinion. Experts are super important. I've been doing this job for 20 years, um, and I would consider myself uh, an expert in a lot of the OPA policies. I've been doing that for the better part of 10 years. I was the investigator. I was the OPA captain at the time, course major, and now still see it every day. But we use experts, um, even with my 20 years of experience, all this, because there's certain pieces of technical information that we may not know at, at that moment. This is probably the biggest one that we use, is our use of force board. Uh, and those are experts in this particular discipline. It could be firearms, it could be hand-to-hand -hand combat, it could be uh, spray, taser, baton. And then also uh, we send them through what is called force science. And I've gotten a day course of force science. And if, if you're a sports fan, if you ever watched ESPN sports science, it's kind of like that. This is how fast it takes a human to recognize that something's coming at them. This is how fast it takes the brain to process it and to make a reaction. There's a lot of things like that that are way smarter people than me. Um, but we use experts. Uh, so if I have a use of force complaint and it's going to the use of force board or investigating at an OPA, the OPA lieutenant and or major will sit in and they, they are able to ask questions. They don't make a determination on that board. That piece is totally separate. Um, but they will listen to the five or six experts discuss that. We could potentially send it to Force Science if there was something that we had a, a real question about and pay for that. And they will sit in and they can ask a question. They can be like, can you tell me how someone would react in this way or if they would react in this way by the science of it to do that. Um, but they do not make a determination on that board. The use of Force Board then makes their own determination. It's independent. They properly use force, they improperly use force, they were improperly trained, we have a policy deficiency, we need a retrainer, whatever case may be. That is independent, but accessible to the OPA commanders then to make their decision. So they have access to all that information. And then so a use of force would be a level one. And so this is so this is the one I, I hope that we, uh, that we can all kind of like get an understanding of how much is really involved in this. So. If I have a major complaint, something that's very serious in nature, the open investigator is going to investigate it. The division major, so if it's patrol, they're going to see it. They're going to understand what's going on in the complaint. A lot of times, to be honest, all of our majors will know because we'll have it in an executive staff meeting. It will we'll have an open command come in. It will, it will <laughs> listen to what their findings are and things like that. The open major has to sign off on it. Uh, myself or Deputy Chief Hepley will generally see it. The Chief of Police ultimately has to sign off on it. And in that process, we typically use city legal. 
uh, whether it's uh, the one attached to our police department or, or whether it's the uh, head of state legal, which is Tony Wheeler. And a lot of times on the higher stuff, it gets both of them. <laughs> Uh, when we use human resources and the city manager's office, uh, Casey Tumay, who you all have met, is our direct uh, report or the chief's direct report, and then also the city manager, uh, the city manager itself. So there is more than eight people, but eight different levels of this is the accountability piece of it. Are, are we doing the right things? And they uh, they ask good questions <laughs> uh, a lot of times. So. That's, that's the people that are currently reviewing uh, and helping us uh, come to a decision on Yes. You say currently. Yes. Does that imply that a change has taken place from well, what was? Yeah, I think that's fair. So uh, I'll give you some brief, brief history, okay? Uh, when I started here, probably for the better part of and 10, 12 years probably. I'm 20, I'm a 20-year employee. It was the OPA supervisor did it uh, and then handed it to the chief of police. The OPA captain, it was a captain at the time, it'd now be a major. Might might have seen it probably definitely if it was if it was most serious, but the direct line of who's putting their name to it um, was really only the chief because the investigator, other than signing the report, they didn't necessarily make a recommendation. So it was uh, a sole figure, and if they chose to let other people into the decision, which they, they can or, or cannot, uh, then you would get that. There was sometimes involvement uh, with other city departments, but not near as much as there is now. Um, that, that's We would do an end-of-the-year report with the city manager's office, but it was like a briefing, a snapshot of everything that had occurred. So uh, depending on who was the chief at the time, probably depending on the city manager's time, depends on how much they were involved. But I can tell you now, it's heavily involved. Um, and so then the other change was we have more levels of, of leadership now. More levels have to see it. More levels have to to put their name on it and say, I think this is sustained. I think this is exonerated. And they're putting their name to it. This year now, Bob, that I'm trying to put term out for the complaint from the beginning to the end, then. So every complaint is different. So a lot of it depends on how much resources it takes, right? So uh, the first piece you got to ask yourself is, is there an ongoing criminal investigation, right? And so that can delay that or um, something that is going to be done um, civilly, right? A civil lawsuit. So there can be a little bit of break in there. The open investigator still gathers the information so we don't lose information. <laughs> Uh, and they may even take initial looks at it, like I talked about, to make sure that we go, oh man, we have something really bad on our hands, right? Uh, policy is like it's like ninety days, I believe, right now. That one just changed, so that's why not. <laughs> uh, it may maybe sixty now, but I think it's, it's ninety days from when you actually start the investigation. But if you haven't started the investigation, meaning the chief of police has said go ahead because you there's another criminal complaint or something like that, that's when the actual start is. Most complaints get done in that time. Some are uh, way more complex and require like um, backlogs of history. Like you know, we uh, we've in complaints we've pulled um, old records of maybe uh, let's let's talk about like this place. We might be pulling tons of data for the last year or two. We might be comparing it about against department data, things like that. If that makes sense. So that generally ninety. So does that mean the individual that's putting in the complaint knows that 
it will be either 90 days for that policy or if it's ongoing, it could be a year. So uh, I can't speak to everyone, but I know uh, what they're supposed to do, right? And I do believe that, that Lieutenant Allstead does that. Um, you're human beings, right? So anybody can miss anything. But typically, if it's not going to be investigated at a time, they'd be like, hey, you have this municipal court hearing, uh, conclusion of your municipal court hearing, please come back to us. We will conclude this. Or it's, I've got your complaint. Uh, and I've talked to you now, I've talked to the officers, I've done X, Y, Z. Typically we go back through and explain kind of what has happened, what has occurred. Hey, I, I got your complaint. We sit down and we watch the video. We talked to officer so-and-so, we did this, and this is the result that we have found. It's one of the reasons I believe that we haven't, there's a, been a uh, comments about lack of things going to the board. A lot of times we go back to people and explain to them, it's not just, we send them a letter, but we we typically call them first and say, "Here's here's what the disposition is. It may be sustained. It may be not sustained." Another tool that we we use, and we talk about levels, of, uh, we'll talk about levels of accountability in there. But uh, another tool that we use, um, if I'm making a complaint in Kansas and I'm on camera, I'm the subject of the camera recording. I can come watch that too. So if you believe something happened to you. Anybody can come, that, that person can come watch that that camera. So I believe Officer Joe um, improperly used force. I'd like to see the body camera. By law, we have we have to bring you in and let you see that. You can bring your attorney in, all of things. I'd like to go back to Brenda's question. When did the change happen? I know you're saying that when you started, and it's been a long time, but when so, did this level one complaint <clears throat> process oh. happened so this uh, this is more of a verbiage thing because we had people confused of like um because we we would do it as um just a complaint or an inquiry right and people didn't understand um why my um i think officer richardson didn't use uh, his turn signal was not the same priority as i think somebody improperly used force against me right why they not, may not get the um, same level of information or something like that. That you saw that at the CPRB, we had somebody complain about an officer not wearing a name tag. They were really upset that they didn't get their final disposition. Right? It's not the same level as somebody's used improper force against me, and here's all the information that that we need to uh, we need to have. So the verb. So this essential policy is probably about four or five years old. The actual verbiage we changed with some of the Kalia language as we updated the Kalia policy. So I think Major Cooper changed it, but like started the process of the language change a while ago. But the actual published published policy is not very old. So it's the same process we use. The language is different. Um, it's not maybe a month or too old as far as language. So as we are doing Kalia, we do a new policy. We are ready to because remember we have to prove it. So once we're ready to go, okay, we, we're in compliance with this policy, we publish the policy to the officers, and then from that point forward, we have to approve it. Does that make sense? Yes. So what has changed based on the CLIA? So if we're saying the policy is just changing the language, and that we've we clar clarified what level gets what, what attention. If the complainant has criminal charges against them, mm -hmm. does that delay? The yes. investigation? Yes. Yes. 
unless there's something that's blatant, we will always take a cursory look at things because we want to know if we're doing something bad, right? So in the cursory look, you, uh, especially with body cameras, it was harder before body cameras, but the body cameras, you get a pretty good idea of what's taking place. You may not have the whole picture, but you've got 80 or 90% of the picture. And so if we see something that we're uh, concerned with, so um, this has happened to me before somebody, uh, the, the OPA supervisor brought something to me and I said, we're going to run. We're going to run with this right now. And so we're going to do it simultaneous. There's some things in criminal uh, and um, um, personnel investigations that are kind of, so in a criminal investigation, um, they can't use anything that I give them on the personnel side um, because I have the ability um, to compel them. So if Skylar Richardson's alleged to do something wrong, I have the ability to compel him to tell me what happened in his own words in lieu of his danger of losing his job, right? So they can't use any information Skylar has given me in the criminal side. The opposite is not true. I can use every single thing in a criminal investigation to complete the personnel investigation. So certainly in a criminal investigation, it behooves me to have this independent person, Johnson County Sheriff's, give me everything that they can, and then I may come back and go, okay, well, we've answered this criminal piece, but this is also a policy violation, and they never address that, and we didn't address that. I was talking about the complainant being charged with a crime, yep. and he can't, you can't force him to talk to you. No. Yeah. His attorney is probably telling him not to talk to you about his complaint. He feels like you, you sure. discriminated against him, but sure he can't talk about it. And so you would put that off, I'm assuming. Yes, yes. You would wait for that process. That the normal way is to wait for the process to play out. Typically, we will resolve it if it looks agree. If something we did looks egregious to us, uh, we're gonna. Uh, so sometimes. Um, you know, court processes are going to take months, right? Everybody, <laughs> if, if you've ever been involved, you know that it, months might be years, but we might see something that is clearly a violation of our policy or what we even feel is law that would lead to termination. We're going to carry out that action and, and not wait for that court process. But you won't close it out as complaint uncooperative. No. <laughs> uh, CPRB, and that's what we've been talking about here. We had the very narrow, narrow scope of a uh, racial bias-based policing. There is some other outlets um, too in this accountability process, not only is the play, but so a lot of these cases that you're seeing are going through these two offices, whether it's municipal court or district court. Um, and um, I would tell you that, uh, that both courts will do a good job of going, I don't like what uh, officer so-and-so did here, right? And it may not even be a violation of law, but they may contact us and go, I don't, I don't like what Officer Anthony Bercius did in this particular matter. So there's some checks and balances here locally for those things that um, get seen. Oh man, sorry. So the Kansas Commission on C posts, this is um, our certification, and you can always make a complaint to them about uh, any act that we have. This is uh, this is similar to your uh, board that reviews lawyers or the nurses that you know you review the nurses or the doctors that review doctors. What they are in charge of is the certification piece. So um, they, if they say uh, you can get online and you can read about their actions um, on what they're doing on certain officer certifications, if they revoke them, if they do whatever. Now, if we terminate someone or they resign, 
in lieu of termination. And this is probably the most common thing is we have um, someone that we feel like we're gonna terminate. We will almost always tell them. We're nearing towards the end of the termination. If you wanna provide anything, you have two days, whatever the case may be. It's our intent to, term it's our intent to terminate you. 99% of those people leave, but we still report it to C-Post so they can investigate it if they've lied, whatever the case may be. In fact, you're required to at least check the box, but then we send our information upon their request to look at an officer's certification. We also have the Kansas Attorney General's Office. If you feel that the police department is doing something in violation of law or uh, corruption or something like that, you also have civil um, whether it's federal or um, state court, where there's checks and checks and balances, uh, there's actually <laughs> checks and balances uh, as we go through those processes. So, <laughs> did you want questions while they're fresh in their mind, or give everybody a change of food levels? Guys, break, break, quick break, break. Let's do a really quick break. But um, when we come back, every question you got, so thank you. Um, and by the way, this will be, oh, the presentation will be posted on the portal tomorrow. So the public and, and all of you have access to it as well. So thank you. Okay, uh, welcome back. Um, welcome back. The the slides, we're going to, um, you'll get a copy of that and then it'll be uploaded to the portal tomorrow. Um, tons of questions. I know you got a lot of questions, so I want to spend time doing that. Um, I'm going to pull up your slide again, just sure. if you um, if you need to reference it. But um, this is your chance to to ask questions. I did ask if we go over eight o'clock. Are you all good till like eight fifteen or something? Can we uh, <coughs> negotiate that? Um, and we'll have even more questions probably next week as well. So, um, but if you're all right with that, if we go that long, like yeah. Two keeping uh, one. I'll need a reminder from you because I'm not at the office tomorrow. But on Wednesday, I'll get you a copy of the current policy. I say that because we update our policies online every six months um, because they don't automatically update. And so um, the past April policy, if you wanted to see the different terms and things like that, it's currently up there uh, online. Uh, but I will give you a copy of the policy as it is today for John. Uh, second piece was uh, asked a great question about what is where's the CPRB's role in this right now. So the, by the CPRB, by their charter, um, I think one of them is to uh, for the complaint process. I'll get to that. One of them is like aid the police department and community and outreach and all those kind of things. The second piece is to review racial or other bias-based policing complaints um, if there is an appeal. So lots of times there's no appeal because, uh, uh, and just talk about complaints in general, um, because um, we do a, a fairly decent job of bringing someone into this is why we came to the conclusion that we came to, right, wrong or different. There's no appeal if we sustain one anyway. So people go, I agree with you, but that was incorrect, right? So, but they're only told founded, unfounded. They're not given a detailed explanation, are they? Yeah, for uh, for a high level complaint. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, especially if it was going to be like a not sustained. And so let's just say the video evidence showed something different. We typically will invite them in. They they obviously can request that anyway. 
but we typically like to invite people in and go, what do you see? Um, and so and a lot of times people uh, will even withdraw their complaint at, at that time. So, um, but that's just something that occurs. So if I am, I allege that the police department committed racial bias based policing incident and the department does their investigation and I am unhappy with their finding. I then um, appeal to the CPRB board, and that is the point where you would review that. And would that go to the board before the chief decides whether he's so accepting the chain of commands? A racial or other bias-based policing complaint is, is signed off on by the chief, so he's the final decision maker uh, originally on that. Um, so he would have already seen that. I believe the way the current ordinance is written is they uh, <laughs> give that information to the manner. So you said um, the CPRB role, and we're just talking about the role in the complaints, is to review racial based, uh, racial and bias based policing complaints and then appeals that fall in the same category. It's through, like, to get full access to it, the, the person needs to say, I want somebody else to have my private information and, and review it, right? So you remember the board, uh, I don't like the police department's decision. I say, I'd like the CPRB to review it. Then you get the information. And that doesn't have to, that can be any complaint. It could be, yeah. Except our scope currently. But the question was, what is the current scope? Right, that's kind of what I'm trying to understand. And then you, um, secondly, you clarified, um, so back up. So what was that, yes or no? Only, only, only bias <laughs> would come to the scene. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, and it's being on the, <laughs> and just to clarify, that's only if it's appealed. That is if it's right. Right, and it's only if it's So appealed. in 2018 or so, when that was discussed, the topic around that is, is I, uh, not only is it private information for the officer, that's one thing, right? And we know that we're doing that. It's private information for the citizens as well. So they have to say, I'm willing to release my private information to you. Uh, and there's there's nuances in that too. Uh, I'll give you an example. I won't give you a year or anything like that, but it, let's say, I'll just give you a hypothetical. I stop someone for whatever violation. On my computer, it says, hold this person possible terroristic activity. And all, all I'm supposed to do is get name. I have to wait until the FBI calls me. Could be five minutes, could be 20 minutes. And I can't tell them why. And so you might get a racial or other bias-based police <laughs> after that. And I still can't tell you why. And even if they appeal it to you, I still can't give you that information because they have got to say you. And then um, you also confirmed that the chief will have already made a decision before we get that. It's obviously it's being a civil. Yes. Right. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> who, who can appeal? Just the person who made the complaint? The person that can make the that has made the complaint. Yeah. And that person has to have been an involved person. Yes. It can't be like a third party, but a third for lack party. of a better word, an activist making it. It has to be the person or a librarian. <laughs> or a librarian. Even though the third party, well, that it. was an the example. Third party, the third party can make the complaint. Well, that's not appeal. They can't. It's not by the librarian. The librarian right. went there and didn't know anything. Right. It has to be the involved person who appeals mm -hmm. it to the CDR. Is the, this librarian a real person? Or is this, when you say librarian, you're just 
or there is really a situation. So if the third party can make the complaint or someone, but the only person that can appeal is the person that wasn't able to make the complaint themselves. Well, is that what you're the subject of the police action, right? But, but. Let's distinguish also between somebody who has only a hearsay account and submits a complaint versus a witness who saw. Okay, what let's say I am at the store and I see that Doris is being um, having a negative interaction. I can make the complaint. Doris has to participate in the investigation or it's going to be closed because she's the subject of the action. And then after it's found and we have a non-sustained, I cannot do the appeal. Doris has to do the appeal. Right. Well, so the subject who was not making the complaint in the first place has to know that the complaint was found against them and they have to know that they have to appeal within 10 days. That's correct. And I'm not sure that's entirely clear either. If the complaint is coming from somebody who actually witnessed it, but not necessarily the person who we were just told in the first step that it could either be the person who directly interacted or someone who witnessed the interaction. Right, that's what I'm saying. If you're the person who witnesses it, why couldn't you appeal it because you actually saw it versus one we saw that's our question. I have to what it is. This will be a decision point for us in a couple weeks. Right, exactly. Is to decide that, and I think you'll find there'll be pros and cons on both sides. The, the argument to begin with of why it is the way it is is because anytime you're doing this now, I'm giving if I'm the victim of whatever, which is the word victim, I'm now giving up my personal information, my personal thing. Right. And I that. The subject had to participate in the investigation, so their information has been there. Um, and the final decision, what you said before, would not be communicated to the witness in the first place, it would only be to the subject, their attorney, or to their parent if they're under the age of 17, which I get. But then you now have a situation where the original complainant has to then make sure that the subject is in a safe place in order to then appeal to get it outside of the process that it currently is in. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, and 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 let me let me spin that question a little bit. You kind of decide which way you want to answer. It. Sure. You're my police department too, and your conduct impacts me, whether I merely witness it and am not directly involved with you. If I make the complaint. Why would I not get a response? So in the case that you are actually on scene, you're going to get more of a response. Okay. What we, okay. What we often have is people who third are hand. uninvolved, right? And not <laughs> not anything to do with it. My friend told me that. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were witness to that scene and you were we're we're going to come back and you were the complainant, we're going to come back and talk to you. We may not give you a letter, official letter, but right. we're going to come back and talk to you. But not if you weren't there. And that's a lot of things come up. And the question for us will be, should a witness be able to appeal it to the CDR? So 
Yeah, a lot of that information was around uh, there's certain, so there's a lot of privacy information, but let's just say you're the witness, you're my neighbor. But my situation was a domestic violence situation. And now all this information is coming through this board that I may not want to have. Uh, it it's, could potentially get opened up somehow. I don't, it, that's probably a little bit dicier. But we also have a, a uh, by state law, duty to protect their information in sexual assaults and domestic violence and kids' cases, things like that. So we like, when you put a victim, um, we take out the names, all those kind of things. So there's a duty to protect that information. So I can't be the nosy neighbor and get information about it. I don't, that's not what I was saying. Um, I was simply saying, I witness, no, I have had a good experience with the Lawrence Police Department. I have had different experiences being with my husband, being in the South, in the military, different places. We have not had good experiences. So I'm not talking bad about the Lawrence Police Department. But let's be real. There are people that aren't necessarily the best people. Okay. Sometimes they are doctors, sometimes they're ministers, sometimes they're police, sometimes they're, you know, we're dealing fire. with human beings. Right. And if I see who happens to be a police officer, do something to someone that let's say someone that mm, does not have a certain status right in society someone that does not have a voice for themselves um someone that is intimidated someone that is afraid someone that can be taken advantage of someone that can be run over right i need to speak up for that person um and so when i hear I need to be able to um, appeal that and find out what's happening. I don't need to know their entire story, but we, we can't just say, oh, because of privacy, because of all these things that they may have um, been through or they're a victim of. I'm talking about that situation that I will witness to. Yeah, sure. It can be very specific to that. It's like, you understand what I'm saying? I don't. I do, and I'm not arguing with you. I'm telling you the argument that was presented before, okay. and is the argument is, but you're not the involved party. I'm the subject of the police action, right? If I'm, I, I'm the person that something happened to. Um, but this person is afraid, right. and so I'm their voice, right. and they're not going to want to appeal because they didn't want to file it in the first thing. So someone. You understand what I'm saying? If they don't want to make the appeal because they're afraid, and I've seen or they're unable to because for whatever reason mm -hmm. they can't even make the complaint. But I know this is not okay. Mm -hmm. I'm almost acting for that person. I'm you know, I'm I'm acting like a parent would for a child in this situation. This is the example I'm giving. I'm not giving all, but we know there are people right around here downtown. That are unable to speak up for themselves or are too intimidated to speak up for themselves. And that's what I'm saying about the appeals process. Um, that we, whoever makes the complaint, should be able to appeal. Let me ask you a question. Person. What would you be appealing? Because you won't get the information of why the investigation went a certain way because you're not the involved third party. So what would you appeal? So and how would you know? So if I wouldn't get the the if I wouldn't receive the results, then why would I bother? You're going to receive the, the results, process. but you may not get the inner workings of, hey, I was at this person's house for domestic violence. They we just called and said they had a gun to their head. No. We immediately That's pulled them out of the door. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I would listen to my, listen to my, 
very somewhat real life scenario. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change a little bit. You get a domestic violence call and there's threats of weapons X Y Z and a person uh, active active bodily harm, and the when the person comes to the door, they're immediately brought out. It, it, they're immediately brought out and brought to the ground with handcuffs. You don't like what we did, and you said that is excessive force because of that. But you don't know what the call was. Okay. Does so that make sense? What I'm saying is not what you're saying. Okay. You're, you're giving We're speaking an example. So you're giving the example as a police officer mm -hmm. of the best scenario that would fit what you're trying to explain. Right. And I'm being. I'm coming from. A regular person that I'm trying to think of. I try to put myself in a normal, regular. I'm not gonna say normal, so that's the wrong word. I'm trying to put myself in. I'm trying to be, think of how a person would feel that is on the outskirts, is not on the inside, that does not have the protection. Something happened to me. I call my attorney. Right, uh, something happened to them. They don't have an attorney. They don't have money. They don't have the means. They don't have the protection of family, of status. I'm talking about like a, like that type of someone that has already been victimized. That's one. Not a domestic violence situation where I see slam somebody down or a drug, you know, a drug um, situation where someone slam. I'm just I'm talking about if I see something, and I know you can't admit it, but I do read the paper. And there are situations that are very different from what you're describing, where people have their cameras, right? And they record what happens to police officers. And horrible things have happened. We've seen horrible things happen. I've seen where they've done things with children, right? Oh, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Like 11 year old. This is where I'm coming from. I'm not coming from. Where you're saving like there's guns inside what's going on inside i'm going by what i see as a witness on the outside in public so here's what send me those send me the video that you're talking about though i'm not talking because about the best thing so, but i'm not oh, talking about more i'm just saying <laughs> i'm not talking about somebody no, we need to be about something. <laughs> i'm not talking about more i'm talking about you're you're talking about i understand so no so <laughs> be clear. you're talking about domestic violence situation I guess in Lawrence, I was just talking about as a witness and the process mm -hmm. of appealing um, when we see something in public, not something I see that happened in the house and I just happen to see whatever the results are. I'm talking about, we've all seen various videos last 50 states of some police officers that are not conducting themselves as they should. Mm -hmm. If I see some conduct that is happening and I report it. What I'm trying to say is the appeal process, I should be able to appeal. Because honestly, people are intimidated by the police. I'm intimidated by the police. I've had good situations, but in this town, by myself, I'm pulled over, I'm intimidated. I worry about my husband, so I'm saying, People that are intimidated and if they feel like they've already been violated by a police officer, they're not going to stand up and appeal for themselves when they didn't make the report in the first place. So that is what my concern is. My concern is a person that doesn't have a voice. Okay. My concern is that some you know complicated, you know, domestic violence, sexual assault, that is not what I'm talking about. 
I am talking about just the regular people that may be, um, that are, I'm not going to say you or until the warrants, but I'm trying to be realistic. Some people are intimidated, but that doesn't mean that because they're intimidated or they're afraid or they don't have the means that they shouldn't be protected and, and they shouldn't have their case investigated to the full extent, regardless of appeal or not by them. Do you believe that that process exists now? That you, that you as a third party could find some way to let that information be known? Did you just say it's not? Well, <laughs> if I'm the third party, I'm using your scenario, I saw something and I don't like whatever the result is, I, I have in Kansas Attorney General's office and CFOs that exists now, where then I'm not getting private, the board is not getting information that they don't want to know about another agency is investigating individually. There's a middle ground, though. Yeah. There's yeah, that because your so long as your department policy allows you to notify that third party, well, that witness who is, you know. My point being, you serve and protect us all, yeah. and therefore we are. If we if we witness something, we are also a legitimate complainant. Mm -hmm. The middle ground is so long as you notify that person, not the offended person, but the witness, secondary person who is witness. who is offended yeah. and complaining. There's nothing that would ultimately prevent CPRB from basically reviewing that decision about that complaint because we all have a duty of confidentiality. It would be um, in executive sessions so that those details that have to be held confidential would remain confidential. If the ordinance were drafted to include such a, a a scenario, there's nothing that would stop the CPRB from reviewing that. I only so I would have an issue that took an appeal. Yeah, that could, my, my issue is still about the appeal. Yeah, yeah. So you, make a, you make a really good point, but I've so and and the workplace that on a workplace that I've been in though, even though Tanya, you're the you were witness, you witnessed the whatever it was happened. This person couldn't voice it because they were so intimidated by what happened. Typically in the workplace that I was in anyway, this person had to do something because if they didn't, this person right here, it didn't matter what they saw or didn't see. But I do like the fact that I think that I don't know why in some format that we couldn't put it in an ordinance where you are the voice for this person that's intimidated. And how would you go about doing that appeal? I don't see how I can make an initial complaint and not make an appeal. Right. I had enough information to make the complaint. Right. Well, and, and, and right. you can redact the specific scenario that caused the police to be interacting with the person yeah. and but, still give me the information as I was the uh, original complainant. But you, 
point is, if you if you actually have the first-hand information to make the complaint, that puts you in a different position from somebody who does it based on a hearsay account. You know, and and that distinction has to be made because you why, witnessed it yourself. Why? Why the is involvement? It, why does it need the to, other person is no, key. I want to go back. Why does it need to be? If it's hearsay, then you're going to say this is not anything that we can move forward with. And then I can appeal it to the CPRB and CPRB can say, we agree. There's not anything we can move forward with. It was hearsay. It was unsubstantiated. Why is it that I have to be the firsthand witness if I'm a complainant? I'm saying the process should move. If I'm able to make a complaint, well, then I should also be able to appeal. You can, you can the provide information. Like the witness? But me personally, I don't want to put, so the situation you're saying is that you went home and told your best friend that what happened and your best friend is like, oh, no girl. And then they call the police and make the complaint for you because you're in a position where you do not feel like you can make that complaint. Mm -hmm. As a subject, you still have to participate in the investigation, right? So I say, I'm not talking to them. Okay, so the investigation dies and then they go back to the original complainant, my good, good girlfriend and say, Jacqueline did not involve, did not participate in it or unknown subject X did not participate in it. And so therefore we are closing it out. And then I could say, no, I want to appeal it to the CPRB. What's the problem with doing that? Oh, well, Jacqueline, you weren't present for it. It was your girlfriend who the situation happened. Okay. She's still somebody that is intimidated by the police and does not want to participate. So I still don't think, and and this is going to be a conversation we're going to have over time. But when we look at the process, what was shown here was just the snippet from the police point of view. I would like to know the process from a complainant's point of view. I called this number and I went to any of the seven places and I put in a complaint. Okay. Well, we've heard that they might come in and... Um, withdraw the complaint because of the value of the communication that they have with the police department. We've heard that if there is a sustain, then they agree with it, so they're, they're not gonna appeal that. What we haven't heard is or seen is an example of um, feedback from a level three, a level two, a level one complaint. We haven't seen how the change in policy has um, created um, more information from the complainant. From my perspective, it looks kind of like what we were talking about in our first two meetings, that the burden is on the person who had the negative interaction with the police to then follow up multiple times. Whether it's a level three or a level one complaint isn't really my concern. <laughs> my concern is who bears the burden in the process? Who is the one that has to continuously advocate for themselves? And oftentimes the people that are first having the negative interaction might be somebody who is not capable of advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. So why are we going to cut off anybody who is able to help them through this process? So this is this is what I'm getting out of this, the two things that we might make in terms of recommendations. So it looks like based on the first conversation, which is gonna be separate from the CPRB, is that there are vulnerable populations out there people who are more marginalized, that patterns show that they have negative, more vulnerable interactions with police officers. So we need to consider if 
um, someone else can make complaints on their behalf and get the full benefit of getting the decision and, and having that full process being involved in that. That's, and they're the witness, they're not, or someone else that represents the vulnerable person um, who might not be a mentally ill, could be a, you know, a minority group, anyone who, um, you know, stats have shown that they are vulnerable, you know, um, in terms of their interactions with police officers. That's part of, that's something, that separate recommendation that might be potentially brought up and made um, that's separate from the CPRB. And then I'm getting that maybe the CPRB, um, it might be recommended that they get to review racial and bias-based complaints from witnesses. So those two things I'm hearing. And um, just to follow up with like what you were saying, um, I do, I, I, I think those are things that we should definitely um, consider, but I did want to say from a CPRB perspective of being on the board for a year, the question is how often, <laughs> how often are we getting these complaints? Because so far we have not reviewed or had any opportunity to check one. So that's a really good question. Um, as far as the, in terms of the left, policing. you know. Right, yeah. Um, so you will typically see anywhere from zero to three a year, usually zero to one or two. Um, that, that they're not very often. And they're not racial or bias based. No, that are. I thought you were asking specifically oh, yeah, I, racial or bias based policing. Okay, so I I think we had one that was a fail that was not considered because it was not in the category of racial bias based in the past year. Yeah. How does so. it get determined that it's racial or bias policing? Typically mm -hmm. by what the individual is alleging. Okay, so I I know this is part. I'm a very narrow. I'm a black woman, right? I just don't tell you, it's a secret. Yeah. I know, but I don't tell you. Um, I, I get pulled over in my driveway and I'm very scared. It's at night. Um, my kid and uh, my spouse are inside. Um, my hands are shaking and I feel like the police officer who's talking to me is being dismissive. Um, is being rude, um, is being aggressive when aggression isn't needed in this situation. I make a complaint and I say I was in my driveway and I was scared and he was talking mean to me. I don't say I feel like this person was a racist and was doing racist stuff to me. So my complaint goes in, it gets reviewed, you look at the tape, you say, ah, oh, she's overreacting. The fact that she's scared doesn't mean that this was an improper, he followed all the policy, he asked all the questions that need to be had. And so you come back to me and you say, nothing to see here. And it doesn't go anyplace else because I now have to say for the second time that this happened to me before it goes to the CPRB. But it's not seen as racial because I didn't raise it as racial to begin with. We're not, going they're to not going to assume It follows the state standard. <laughs> racial bias based police is done, it's an action taken based on race, whatever the case may be. So then, if now you find out that, that officers, Officer Lawrence did that with me in my driveway. And then we find out that Officer Lawrence did it with Doris and Dr. Turner. Now we got three people who never said the word race, who never said, I think Officer Lawrence is racist towards me. Officer Lawrence did not say anything negative to me um, about my skin color. 
But now, Officer Lawrence has five complaints from this population and no complaints from anybody else. Officer Lawrence doesn't talk this way to anybody else. Is it still not racial? I think it's going to be considered. No. It's unfortunate, but it's how it is. Right. Um, and, and so that so, so of is it not a racial racial bias based complete? If, if we're getting multiple things that show a pattern, we may investigate it as that. We may, even though nobody's said that, right? But the racial bias based policing has a very it's a very fixed statute. Mm -hmm. This is what it takes. Very specific. Yeah. Right. Very specific. So now Doris, who's actually the NAACP person that we all are friends with, and we go tell her, hey Doris. Dr. Turner, Jack Lee, I'm going to use you, what's your name? Taylor. And Taylor, and Taylor have all had this situation. And Doris, this happened to me. It happened to Taylor, too. It happened to Dr. Turner, too. And so now Doris, who was not present for any of them, wants to make a complaint. Yes. So that now we're saying we've got a racial-based situation because of the number of people who've been involved. Doris is the one that's representing us, even though she wasn't present. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Even though Doris wasn't present, she wasn't a witness, we're now saying that Doris cannot follow up on it to appeal it because it doesn't fit with the statute. Each individual situation did not fit the statute. So it's only in the aggregate. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Thank you for that. You do what you need to do. To... <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I gotta, I gotta have it really fast. You're, make, so you're making some really valid points, and I think that's going to come down to those in that chain of command that have the discretion on how they determine how they're going to determine. But is it you even know, going it, into the system? Is it even going into blue team in a way that that supervisor can track when it comes to evaluation time? Yeah, it, it comes in there, and there's a dashboard with an alert system. So if, if you have so many actions and actions could even be positive, but I've had so many actions go in there and it triggers alert to, to the system that supervisors start reviewing. So, and depending on, now maybe that Officer Richardson did such a good job that he had four great actions, like attaboy letters. We're obviously gonna dismiss that, but let's just, we'll, we'll even use a different one. The Officer Richardson's had, sorry, I'm using it, you're sitting in front of me. So uh, Officer Richardson had, uh, for driving points, it, it should it hits them on a dashboard. The supervisor would go, I need to start reviewing all of Oscar Richardson's. There's been a lot of discussion about data and what data is tracked. And I'm I'm curious on this, because um, this this is great. This is a really important discussion. It's touching on a number of things. Is what data is tracked on the complainant? in terms of is race tracked initially? Um, I'm just curious on, on what data do you collect about the individual who complains and issues of, of patterns over time? I, I what data is don't there? Know the answer to I that question. I, I'd have to get back there and like I could figure it out here pretty soon. I, I feel like it is, but I don't want to give you the correct answer. Because typically when I'm filling them out, I'm filling out like Skyler did a good job on this. So I'm not filling out, but I'm like 90% sure that there's a field of, I know there's a field of Jonathan. Jonathan lives here. Jonathan. Yeah. And OPA is the one that inputs the data and the complaints into the blue team. Yeah, or the commanders do it. Or the commanders do. Yeah. Okay. 
And when you're looking at the answer to that, could you also look up for immigration status if that's something that's difficult? Because um, my experience, not anymore, is that in New Jersey, my mother in Portugal, was I would do a lot of these interactions, these translation interactions, where maybe I wasn't there, or maybe I was there, but I'm you know kind of representing that person to a certain degree in the English language. And I wonder if to the follow-up points that you're talking about, can status updates be given kind of separate from personal information? And can that be a case-by-case -case basis potentially where if the status update is, you know, we're looking into it, we're trying to contact the person, like that could be something that, you know, maybe that's not personally identifiable information that you can follow up on. But I think that there's a difference between status updates and personal information. And then I also think that a lot of the people who are complaining may not be looking for direct addresses, but they want to know that they were changed in place behavior. Um, a lot of people will, will say something because, oh, I don't want it to happen to another black woman. And that's my only basis for saying that as opposed to I want a direct follow-up. I may not want that. And that may be traumatic for me. Maybe a time that I don't have. I mean, I may just not be interested in that, but I want to say this thing or share this experience or share this experience that I saw and that um, resonated with me because I want to see a, a culture change. And so I'm wondering about how complaints of that nature, because I think that this was this was constructed from a Western mindset, a colonial mindset of the individual. But I think that a lot of the people who are engaging with this with police and that or maybe some complaints may not have that same individual mindset. They may have like a community good or altruistic or different different way of coming at it. And so I wonder how we might interface with people who are looking for different outcomes than, than like the regular justice-oriented follow-up or punitive follow-up. They, they may not care what happens to the officer particularly. They don't, I mean, they don't know regardless. So no matter what action we take against the officer, they at least personal information. Nor would it work. Yeah, so I think to the point of that their goal, their goal may be different. And so I wonder how the follow-up might be, especially if those if those complaints are more likely to be made by a third party. Um, yeah. Or that there might be like a support person with them to 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 submit that complaint. That's what I was going to say is that you know, seeing it, there there are ways to deal with the situation and try to make them feel more comfortable. It's not perfect, but you allow them to bring someone, anyone they want, into the interview. Yeah. You uh, create a liaison program where you actually have people in the community who are willing to help them through the process. They're not they're not there as an advocate for whatever they're claiming happened, but they're there to help them with the process so that they understand it and go with them. And in uh, in the jurisdiction I'm familiar with. They had the Human Relations Commission members were willing to take on that uh, responsibility, and they would assign a member to a complainant if they felt like they'd be more comfortable in going through the process with them. It's not perfect, but it's designed to make the complainant a little more less fearful of the process. And then dealing with the serial situation where three black women are stopped at different times, but the first two don't know, or the last one might not know. But then you find out down the road that, well, this officer's only stopping black people. There's a process in this other jurisdiction to reopen an investigation when there's newly discovered evidence. So those two people who aren't in the complaint process could reopen theirs uh, by bringing forward new 
information that wasn't available to them when they initially went through the process. So there are little things like that can be built into an ordinance and that is built into that Fort Collins ordinance. Sorry. Can I answer their question? Immigration status is not, so we don't ask immigration status. And I think by ordinance now we can't ask it unless it's really specific to a criminal investigation anyway. So we wouldn't track that. Um, not written in policy, but practice, like, because I can think of the complaint here of the police where if someone brought in their sister, maybe a sister and their mother with them to review, they wanted to review the body. I think it is in your process, your, your policy. There, right now. Oh, yeah, the new one says you can bring someone with you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, but, and we let two people in. So. And you've got to give them breaks and you <laughs> no hot lamps. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to say it came on really quick yeah. and it's still kind of here. I don't know what's happening, but um, I think one of the things that we heard from community members is that we're wanting to see the practice of transparency. Um, and so when I think of transparency in this community, I think about like the tax assessors, right? You get a tax assessment that you don't like. On the back of it, it talks about how you can file a complaint. It's very easy. You make the complaint. You get a phone call from the assessor. They say, why do you think that this is wrong? You fill. You tell them. You let them know. They say, okay, I'll get back to you. They review. They research. They report back. And then even if you don't win your appeal, you still understand the rubric that is used to make the decision. So you find out okay, what you said appears to be like this. And so for me, I said, hey, I recently had my house appraised. And what you said is very different than my house appraisal. And my house appraisal is listed as a, a valid form of evidence. And he called me back and it was like, yeah, your appraisal um, is a valid form of evidence, but I also need to look at these comparables in the area because of this state statute. And by looking at these comparables, I have found that you no, know, your assessment appeal does not um, stand up. And so at that point in time, I was able to understand what my how my complaint was received, what level of complaint it was, what the standard is for review, that the review happened, and what the re result is. At that point in time, I have every right to then take it to the attorney general or to my state representative or whomever, but it's because I was given enough information to understand how my needs fit into the system, <clears throat> what evidence was looked at to make the determination, and then whether or not my decision, um, and honestly, at that point in time, he was like, you didn't get it. Okay, cool, uh, fine, I'm not out there, you know, Ready this well, maybe if anybody wants to join. <laughs> but um, being heard is um, a part of that process. It's built in. And I think when you practice transparency and you do it well, it's quite boring because nobody gets up in arms about it. Nobody really cares about it because you've been through the process. And I think that there are a number of people in this community that don't know what the process is, don't feel heard, and don't feel like they have access to have a fair review of their complaints. And so while things have changed, according to your process, when we had our community meetings, people were not feeling heard or felt. And so um, one of the things that the CPRB can be used for is to help with that. Um, 
I was asked to join because I, um, I'm an attorney, I like process, I'm also a federal employee, and I'm a supervisor, and I work with issues concerning public safety and other big name things. Um, and every decision that the people who report to me make is reviewable by federal law, every single one. And if we are not following our policies consistently, we are required to answer to that on the individual level and on the larger level. Um, the proper execution of discretion is something that we should be understanding as a community and able to see it in action. And so when I'm standing on the street, if I see someone who is being mistreated, I should feel comfortable saying, as a member of the community, I want to stand up for that person. I feel like what I witnessed was incorrect. And then you can redact any identifying information and say, I reviewed your complaint. This is what we saw. This is the law that's in question. This is our internal policy that we used. This is the decision that was made to your complaint. And you could do that without involving the subject's personally identifiable information. So this, this is great. This is exactly, I mean, you're doing it. This is the work. Um, I appreciate all of those comments. And I just wanted to name a few things that I heard and then ask you to kind of react to that. Um, the, the whole piece of, of who can file the complaint and um, what information they have access to. There's a whole thread of discussion around what is communicated back to the complainant and what is communicated back to a third party. Um, and there might be some differences in, in how that looks. Um, I'm hearing about this whole kind of advocacy role, um, if you will, for someone who is not, for whatever reasons, um, comfortable or able to file the complaint themselves, but someone else is advocating for them or assisting them through that process. Um, it sounds like there's something that, that needs to be explored with that. Um, and that just in general, the public education around the process itself um, how to initiate what you can expect at any given time and how that's all documented. Um, so there's this is great. This is this is really good um, information. What I would like to ask you all to be thinking about, and I appreciate that you you've stayed over, but um, I also be mindful of our time. Um, I would like for you to go back through the presentation and read through the slides in more detail. We didn't get into anything yet about level one complaints beyond racial and bias-based, which is the purview of the CPRB right now. We got a lot of feedback around that, so we need to explore that. Um, but read through that, and then also be giving some thought to these ideas that were just identified of what might be some possible um, approaches to that. And then we'll do some pros and cons related to that. So some of these might be things that happen informally, but we just need to see it written. And other things might be something that hasn't been done in the community before, but we're missing something that we need to put forward as recommendations. So 
be thinking about what that might look like. Um, what else? What else? Yes. Well, I can see that there's going to be some issues of confidentiality, and Anthony's kind of alluded to that, that there's things he can't give the CBRB, and where do you draw that line? And I know there's going to be pushback on that. I'm going to push back on that some. And if you're relying upon legal advice, I mean, I think we're going to have to bring in the city attorney to give us some advice on that. Yeah, um, so the piece I was speaking of was from the last when we did the CPRB ordinance. There's two pieces of confidentiality, though. There's there's the uh, subject of, of whatever, like the citizen, one of the planner, uh, right. and then there's the officer who also has confidentiality. Which we try to protect both now. Yeah, and so it, not only do they have it, but they have it written in their number of understanding. So there's, there's some pieces here that you have that we have to learn to navigate around to get to a good solution. Like for me as the officer, I'm not under the contract, so you can get whatever you want from me. Besides being a city employee, right? Yeah. Um, so there might be some protections and identification. There may not be an ability to do that though on video and things like that. Video is the best evidence, right? So we would have to we have to work through a lot of things to me. Um, so when we're to the communities, a lot of great ideas. And they said they sound simple. But there's complexities in them, and so we, I think, as a group, we got to work through the complexities of what we can do and what we can. I guess I'm just worried that the complexities might be not as strong as we think. So, whatever. That's part of what we'll figure out. And then also the whole idea of trends. That if we're seeing that it wasn't in this complaint, it wasn't obvious, but now that we've got two and three, or we've got more information that's come in. Um, clarity around how is that addressed? How does the process speak to it? I just threw out you know, demographic questions. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I'm just saying, how do you identify trends over time that and a, a, a complaint process that's focused on the individual complaint um, wouldn't necessarily capture it? So CJCC does that. Yeah, so that's, that's part of how we can to marry that um this is great um let me just give you a few things to be thinking about for next week and i also need to negotiate something with you uh because this is heavy lifting and we need time <laughs> um we're scheduled to meet next monday from 6 8 p.m and then the following monday from 6 8 p.m i would love to get more time out of you for each of those meetings if you are game for that. Um, the original charter just put forward two hour meetings, whatnot, but now that we're into this heavy stuff that we need to be in the room together going back and forth, I would like to ask if we can go to two and a half hour or three hours um, for those next two. Anyone wanna <laughs> speak to that? Um, I like it. I don't like it, but I think we need it. Yeah. Um, Aim for two and a half. Be flexible. So, because yeah, I'd like to formally announce that too, but I sorry. School starting, and this would be a school night, and so we need to take that into consideration mm -hmm. um, for the parents that are shooting. That's, that's late, and so I don't know. 
But to what degree can, so when we do start to come up with, with actual guidelines, that will be public in, in these meetings. But in terms of the revision process and us getting a chance to sit with it and develop what might be the final wording and then to present that again at the next meeting, I'm wondering to what degree in terms of Open Records Act and operations that we that there might be things we can do. Yeah. So that was a that's a question I have because I don't know exactly what our parameters are. Um, we need you each to be starting to formulate some ideas, and I and I I do want to just imprint that a bit. And then I can follow up by getting formal direction from the city on in terms of like how many recommendations we can make or well, not only that, but just how do we communicate that? Because this is a public process and everything we produce is public. And so right. um individually you can begin formulating some ideas that you can share back with the group. Um I don't <laughs> know if, for example, we could um, if two or three of you wanted to tackle the issue of complaints and looking at types of complaints, third party third party complaints, you know, tackle a couple of the the meaty things that we just identified here, and maybe start to draft some. I don't know if that might be a possibility. And then maybe somebody else wants to tackle another biggie that that we know that you all flagged from the community conversations is going to be around qualifications for serving on CPRB, training and orientation for anybody on there, um, that could potentially be its own kind of subcommittee to, to wrestle with that. Um, Can and we that just might be all to work be... on like three questions and come with ideas for those three? Like, I, I worry about with time that we're not all gonna get a chance to have valuable input. So like maybe what is something that the policy must have in order to be successful who can serve on the board and what do you want the complaint process to look like i mean i feel like where we are right now we, we only have a few meetings left and uh we're still pretty far from concrete suggestions um but if we all answer like three questions and prepare in preparation for the next meeting then maybe we can have breakout groups and you go to the group that you like, that you want to have that conversation with the most. And then those could be the working groups that come and talk after like 30 minutes about what it is you'd like to see. I don't know. Yeah, so um, so we could do that. Push out three <laughs> questions that we ask each of you to be prepared to share your, your responses to those questions. And then we can ferret out how we'll do that work um, at the next time, um, at our, at our meeting next Monday. Does that sound like a good thing? So you're wanting us to literally kind of use the, the notes from our community conversation and kind of progress, right? Because I feel like we kind of, there were questions <laughs> we answered initially, just ourselves, yeah. and then we had the community conversation. So now it's kind of like finalization of maybe what we would suggest. Yeah, absolutely. So now when you go back and look at the discussion notes from our prior meetings, you'll see that we spoke to what do you um what questions do you have about the current complaint process and what would you want to see we got feedback from the community so at the bottom of the agenda today i've got some homework for you and this is this is where um this is where we're going to make absolute <laughs> of your time um specifically I would like for you to go back and read through the uh, 
the complaint process presentation that we got today. And I'd like for you to take notes through that of follow-up questions that you have. You know, things that you don't understand or you need to get to tonight or you just need to get more clarification on. Um, so use this document um, as as your for notes purposes. Um, then um, any suggestions or ideas that you have on process improvement of all those various areas that we talked about where you think the, the complaint process itself could be improved and then specific to the CPRB's role within that. You know, ultimately that's what our recommendation is going to be, but we have the ability to put forward recommendations on improvements to any any number of things related to the complaint process. And but then you have to figure out where does the CPRB uh, fit into that. Um, the key documents that we have in the portal currently that we want you to review. Um, make sure that you're familiar with the resolution that established the ordinance, excuse me, that established the CPRB. So you're very clear on what they can and can't do now, because um, that's that's yet another component of this. We have an example of one municipality that has a robust uh, community police review board out there that has an extensive amount of data on how they've tracked over the last, I think, 15 years or so with that, um, specifically Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I'm looking at some other examples. One thing that I read early on in the research around this is that any type of these entities tend to be very specific and unique to the community in which they were birthed. And so there isn't an example out there of this is the way to do it. <laughs> it will be ultimately some marrying up of what it currently is and then process improvements around that. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is just scale and similar sized organizations in cities. So the um, Austin, Texas has a very robust set of resources around their community police oversight. That is a massively large city compared to our budget. So um, um, just keep that in mind of like what's doable. Um, and ultimately those are all commission decisions. So if there's costs associated, that's probably a political process to figure that out. But review those. <laughs> and then I want you to be considering buckets and buckets being <laughs> easy wins, buckets being stuff we're gonna wrestle with that we'll get to and then buckets that might be harder to, to, to sort out. And then general areas for um, recommendations, start kind of making note of what you think might be something that could ultimately end up in recommendations, okay? So a lot of work, appreciate all the time you're putting into this, but now we're in the thick of it. That's exactly what you're here to do. So next week, I'll see you on Monday. Um, here at six o'clock, we'll plan to go until 8.30. And then if we can stretch it even a little bit further, we will as needed, but we'll try and bring in the number. Okay. And if we're needing more time beyond that, that's a separate discussion. Oh, that's okay. Thank you to Anthony Frixious and the police department for this important information. I appreciate it. And of course, see you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.